to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. Welcome back to the Better Golf Podcast. I am your host, Spencer Aguiar, and I appreciate everyone joining me here for the Bermuda Championship. Before we get into my breakdown of what I am expecting to transpire at Port Royal Golf Course, I do want to recap the week that was at the Zozo Championship. It was another small card for me of just 7.12 units in play, but it unfortunately resulted in a 2.55 unit loss. Hideki graded as the third most likely winner of the event while also being the third choice in my model, so it's not as if the win came out of left field, but I unfortunately went in other directions and wasn't able to keep the momentum rolling in that market. The same could be said for the placement wagers. Brendan Todd was dead in the water from his opening shot uh, trying to come in the top 40 there. Chris Kirk slipped down the board over the final few days to miss a top 30. And Andrew Putnam chopped his top 40 with a handful of golfers, finishing in a share of 39th place. It has been an up and down start to the new calendar season, but I'm holding steady with a 17.18% ROI in the year 2021. And barring me turning into Vegas Dave and releasing a 3000 unit nuclear bomb of the year, it should be our fifth straight season of being in the green and likely will result in the biggest net profit so far. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Tee Off Sports to make a copy of the model that I use weekly, but let's get right into the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. Port Royal Golf Course, 6,828 yards, par 71, Bermuda Greens. The field was supposed to have 132 players, but that number is dropping by the second. At the time of recording this podcast, we are now down to 127. Brian Gay won this title in 2020 at 15 under, Brendan Todd in 2019 at 24 under, and those are the only two iterations of the event we have seen at this track. As far as this venue is concerned, this appears to be one of those weeks where what looks important on the surface is likely going to be what matters. I did fiddle with some numbers slightly, but most of the concrete data that meets the eye is included. The course itself is located on the Atlantic Ocean coastline, but I don't want that to be taken as meaning weather splits must be looked into before placing a wager. Yes, how a golfer performs in wind will certainly come into play, but this isn't a track like we would get in Texas where gusts might come and go for different tee times. Instead, we're talking coastal golf where breezes will be steady throughout the day. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize 6,828 yards means the property is short, which we see right away with it being the second smallest that is used on the PGA Tour, but it gets even more emphasized when you look at the layout. Most of the yardage is baked into three of the four par threes, with those three holes ranking as your most difficult. Each features between a 26.1 and 32.5% bogey or worse rate, and the yardage stretches between 213 to 235 at those three setups. Of the 11 par fours, only one plays over 450 yards, and it's questionable at best not including it into the 400 to 450 yard range since it measures in at 458. I am placing it in that group since holes always get moved around off the tee, so that gives us six between 350 to 400 and five from 400 to 450. The three par fives are extremely gettable at 553, 517, and 507. The par 5 seventh accounted for 17% of DK points in 2019 and allowed 242 birdies to go along with 25 eagles. While par 3s have been the most impactful when it comes to deciding top 10 finishers, the par 5s and even to a lesser extent the par 4s are deciding who makes the weekend. And all of that data I just mentioned is essentially what went into my model. 
Like always, I stretched and fiddled with the numbers to create something that mimicked Port Royal over just the basic information. But I don't want the general viewpoint to be lost that for a venue without stat tracker available, the leaderboards consistently fall into what you would expect when building out a take. Uh, with that being said, I started with 10% on weighted par threes. I looked at par three average, bogey avoidance, and various iron proximity numbers. As I mentioned, I don't know if you can win this event without avoiding mistakes here. 17.5% on weighted par four. That is a combination of holes from 350 to 400, 400 to 450, and overall par for average. We get 61% of our holes with a very consistent yardage breakdown. That has to mean something when trying to conceptualize a blueprint. 10% on par five birdie or better percentage. I do think you could raise that metric slightly, but these are rather simple and short. It wouldn't shock me if someone caught fire on them that normally doesn't play the par fives well, which is why I think trying to overweight the category adds more bad than it might seem. I made a total driving plus GIR stat for 15%. The total driving was put together from a heavy split in favor of accuracy over distance. And then I took that number and did a very even distribution between GIR and total driving. A weighted slow Bermuda category for 10%. That incorporates a mixture of stats on how golfers have per performed during their careers when given greens that mimic these. That doesn't include just putting to derive a value, although the flat stick was heavily included for 40%. 12.5% on both strokes gain total in moderate to severe win and strokes gain total on courses under 7,200 yards. I wanted to get a strong correlation of strokes gain data with information pertinent to this week's venue. And I liked how those two stats in particular took two of the most quantifiable aspects of the venue and turned them into measurable totals. And I ended with proximity from zero to 150 yards for 12 and a half percent. I don't love what it did to certain players from an overall rink sense, but most of the varying distances outside of that group are on the par threes and fives, which already have been looked into marginally in other areas. Uh, if we are looking for overall fades, the $9,000 section on DraftKings does seem to be mispriced as a whole. Chad Ramey is probably the one that doesn't fall into that criteria, but I do believe you could swap the majority of that group for random $8,000 players and get a better DK board. From a head-to-head -head perspective, I do have a few plays that I want to discuss, and I will start with Guido Migliozzi, plus 115 over Hayden Buckley. That can be found on DraftKings. I have Buckley as one of the most overpriced players above $8,000. On the flip side, Migliozzi could have easily been made a $10,000 golfer, and my model would have accepted it just fine. The Italian ranks third in my weighted par four category, ninth in windy conditions, and eighth at courses under 7,200 yards. I have Matthias Schwab plus 105 over Danny Willett. That is also on DraftKings. That price is 25 points off from the rest of the market. Uh, when you look around, you will see Schwab as a favorite. And I believe Schwab should be the favorite here. It's a small edge for me, but I think it's worth a bite at a plus number. I wouldn't go playing it for a massive amount. Uh, but where we have it right now at plus 105 on DraftKings, it is technically a value. Nick Hardy, minus 112 over Lucas Herbert. That is on FanDuel. My model has Hardy inside the top six in all iterations of the model. Herbert didn't crack the top 70 anywhere. You can also find this for a little cheaper at a couple random offshore books. Uh, I, the lowest I've seen it is minus 110. So we're in the same range there. But uh, there are some minus 110s if you shop around. Nick Taylor, minus 112 over Brandon Hagee on FanDuel. Taylor is the second-ranked golfer in this field at courses under 7,200 yards. I had a proper price on him being 8,400 on DraftKings. I think that explains he is undervalued being included in this range. And I also typically find Hagee better when he can use his distance off the tee. That isn't going to be the case here. Harry Hall, minus 115 over Peter Malnati. That is on Bet Online. 
Uh, Malnati is a de decent fit here, but it was the only matchup against Hall that I could find at the three books I use for this show. And then if we're branching out to a site like Bovada, Austin Eckrope minus 110 over Justin Lower and Guido Migliozzi minus 120 over Seth Rees are certainly in play too. The head-to-head -head market is always an intriguing one because of the diverse numbers of routes you can go with books offering different matchups. But a few guys on my shortlist that I haven't named yet that I would like some exposure with and I would like to try to find the right opponent would be Alex Smalley, Aaron Rye, and Lee Hodges. If your book does have the right opponent, I have no issues looking to find a play on them. But let's talk about some of those golfers a little deeper as we get into the placement market. So Right before I started recording, I got a message from Andy Lack about how bad the board was this week when looking into top 40s, and I agree completely with them. It's something I've noticed myself over the past few events, and we've gotten into this less than ideal spot where FanDuel is typically the only shop offering a price when fields aren't considered what we would say strong. Uh, my way around that is I'm going to bet less golfers than usual, but try to play them for a larger win total. Um, so my exposure will still get met in a certain way, but... Uh, that's how I'm going to handle it this week. I don't think these prices are necessarily quite as ideal, but I will begin it with Aaron Rye at plus 110. I've seen better prices before, but Rye is one of my favorite sleepers here. He's performed well in his career so far on short courses and long par threes, and he ranks inside the top 15 when looking at my total driving plus GIR stat. Alex Smalley, minus 110. And for the record, all of these are on FanDuel, so... Um, that's what I'm going to be using this week. Uh, Smalley probably makes for one of the better DraftKings plays also since he's right around 7% ownership. He ranks inside the top five for me in all categories, which includes grading top 20 when playing in wind on short courses and on my weighted par four. Harry Hall plus 140. That's virtually the same price you will find if you're looking at books that pay top 20s in full. Hall's sample size in my model is too shallow to take it at face value, but I can't regress his data back enough to move him outside of my top 10 because of his first place ranking when it comes to both the weighted par three and par four categories that I ran. I do like Nick Hardy and Nick Taylor, although I'm more inclined to use them as head-to-head -head targets since they are minus 110 and plus 110 to come top 40. I don't know if that's enough value there. I like Bo Hogue, though, at plus 130. Hogue is one of the largest model differentials I can find. He does have a negative safety ranking, which typically means playing this up to a top 10 or 20 is the preferred play. But unless you have a book that pays ties in full, I would still rather take him here as in the top 40 market. He's plus 200 on Bovada if you do have access to other routes for a top 20. And the last one I will give is Lee Hodges at plus 140. It's the same spot with him where his top 40 price is equivalent to where he is in the top 20 market at books that pay in full for the top 20. I like his game both off the tee and with his irons, and he's someone registering as a top 40 player in all reweighted scoring zones. Uh, but that will take us into the outright market to wrap up the show. I do want to note that I considered Patrick Reed at 22 to 1, but I thought at the Model Maniac on Twitter had a good point when discussing Reed when he wins. His stat was in the six weeks prior to seven of his eight wins, Reed had yielded a top 25 six times in his previous event. He also had a top 24 in either one or both of the two starts before the victory. Maybe I'm a little more bullish on his potential to turn it on than the model maniac is, but I tend to agree with his stance that there is likely going to be a better tournament to use him. And this might be a spot on DraftKings where we can get him under the radar and potentially we can come back in a couple weeks and try to get an outright ticket on him if he does show some life here. Uh, I'm fine letting Mito Pereira beat me at 20 to 1. 
Same thing can be said about Sheamus, although I do really like this court fit for him. I might regret not grabbing him at 30 to 1 on a site like William Hill, but I kind of prefer throwing random darts past 50 to 1 and hoping something sticks. But I started my card with Guido Migliozzi at 40 to 1. The win equity looks pretty similar to what I have on Sheamus, so I will take the rebate there. As I mentioned earlier, Migliozzi has shown upside at shorter courses that have win, and he ranks seventh in my model when it comes to strokes gain approach. Steven Yeager, 55 to 1. For all the love around Mito Pereira, Yeager was the top point scorer on the Corn Ferry Tour last year and looks like a value because of his short iron proximity and bogey avoidance numbers. Some of my math is lower on him because of the three tournaments I have in my system this year, but this is the perfect venue for him to provide a big result. Aaron Rye, 66 to 1. Just because Rye does most, most of his work in Europe, it doesn't mean he isn't one of the most accomplished players in this field. He's won twice on the European Tour, three times on the Challenger Tour, and has also won on the Asian Tour. Rye ranks 7th in proximity within 100 yards and is also 6th in GIR percentage. Harry Hall, 65-1. to 1. I only have two tournaments of information from Hall in my database, but he did enough in those two events to propel himself to number one in my model. I do want to temper expectations because one of those tournaments came out of Vegas course. He has played countless times while he was attending UNLV but it's still hard to not be encouraged by his profile. Uh, I think 65 to one is a pretty good price on him. Bo Hogue, 90 to one. Hogue is the largest differential in my model when comparing his actual outright price to what I have as proper. Somewhere between 45 and 50 to one is correct math for me. Uh, Kramer Hickok, 90 to one. Hickok ranks 10th in my upside model. He has an eighth and 15th at this property in his two attempts. And he's the fourth best player in this field when wins get intense. That puts us right at 0.68 units of exposure when winning a minimum of eight. And then I took two smaller shots on Alex Smalley and Nick Hardy. Um, that still left me enough to get involved from an in-tournament perspective if anything sticks out. But that will do it for me this week. It's going to be a larger card because of all the head-to-head -head investments that I have. But I tend to like these tournaments where the market doesn't know what to do with certain golfers. My math is having a few of those $7 thousand dollar golfers really stand out so that will likely decide my week from both the betting and dfs standpoint uh, but if you aren't doing so already you can find me on twitter at tf sports you can find sticks picks and i together at better golf pod and i hope everyone has a successful bermuda championship good luck this week and i will see you here next tuesday